we are glad that you are here and excited that you can be a part of our beginning uh, in this journey through the book of James over the next several weeks. Um, I'm calling this series of this book Life Hacks. And it came to my attention this past week, not everyone knows what a life hack is, so let me just give a little bit of an introduction, a couple of examples of that. It's a good thing, okay, a life hack is not a bad thing, Um, it's a good thing. What it is, practical tips, um, tricks, things that you can do to manage things better, save some money, save time, stuff like that, Um, kind of thing that you'll find on a place like Pinterest, for example. Uh, Things are just real helpful, okay? How to help your... Uh, brownies turn out right, or whatever. Stuff like that. Okay, so here's a definition. Uh, It's on your outline. You can write this down. Uh, Here it goes. A life hack is a tip, trick, or an efficient method for doing or managing a day-to-day task or activity. Okay, that's what a life hack is. When I was growing up, I remember there in the Neosho Daily News in Neosho, Missouri, uh, once a week at least, there was a column, syndicated column, called Hints from Heloise. Anybody remember Hints from Heloise? Yeah, a lot of you do. Is Heloise, is that, is that still a thing? Is Heloise still putting hints out there? Is she? Okay, I think she is. Think she's still around? She's still putting her hints. But that, that was basically before we had the, the jargon life hacks. That's what she was doing. She would tell you how to get a, a tough stain out of a, you know, a white shirt or, or just advice on stuff like that to help you uh, get by a little bit better. So handy ideas, generally easy to use to help you out. For example, so here's a couple. Did you know that if lettuce gets a little bit wilted, you can soak it for 20 minutes in ice cold water and it will brighten right up. There's your life hack, okay? Here's another one. How about this one? Uh, I like this one. How many of us use dryer sheets? I think a lot of us use dryer sheets. Did you know that you could replace those dryer sheets, those bounce sheets, with just a wad of aluminum foil, about two to three inches in diameter, throw that in there in the dryer with your laundry as it's drying, and it will take out the static clean just as well as dryer sheets. Now, it won't make them smell spring fresh, but it'll take out the, uh, the static energy in there. So there's a hint for you, some money-saving life hacks. I know you've been thinking of how you could save money on your lettuce budget. Well, there you go. You can freshen that lettuce right up and, and quit overspending on that romaine. Uh, if you want to save time or save... Uh, yeah, save time. They say that you should do your grocery shopping on Mondays and Tuesdays because those are the days that the grocery stores are less crowded. If you want to get more specific, they say during the dinner time hour, there are fewer people at the store. And since, this is what I read this week, since the average family does grocery shopping 74 times a year, you can do the math on that and see that you could save hours and hours of time by shopping at those less busy times. Now, you're thinking, uh, that's nice stuff. I could have pulled that off the internet too, Gordon. Thank you very much. Why did I come to church this Sunday? Okay. Well, I think you might be able to figure out where we're going. The Bible is a book full of life hacks. Now, they're more substantive, okay, more substantial uh, than these, more satisfying than these because they deal with things a little bit deeper than dryer sheets and lettuce. But in really deep, in really impactful ways, the Bible does contain some life hacks. Um, Remember what that definition is that we read earlier. Methods for doing or managing life better. Um, The Bible has a lot to say about that to help us out. 
Now, as a church family, we already talked about this morning, many of us are going through the all-in, read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year initiative. We're doing that together. By the way, there's a big banner out there in the lobby. It will be there today and next Sunday. If you're all-in, make sure to get your sticker on that before we hoist it here in the auditorium. But if you're doing all-in with us, you have probably already noticed just in the first couple of weeks of 2016, you're doing these readings, you have probably already noticed that there are a lot of different kinds of literature in the Bible. Okay? You have already read some history. You have already read some poetry. You have already read lyrics to songs in the Hebrew songbook, the book of Psalms. You have already read lists of genealogies. You have already read Proverbs. There are all sorts of different kinds of literature in the Bible. Okay? That should not surprise us because the Bible is a library. Okay, It's 66 books. In fact, the word Bible comes from the Greek word biblion that means, you guessed it, library. So it is a library of books written over centuries by a number of different authors in even some different languages originally. The Bible is a library. We believe it is all inspired by God, but knowing that it's a collection of books I think helps give us an idea that different books are going to read. You've got letters in there as well, personal letters, letters to churches, all sorts of different stuff in the Bible in terms of forms of literature. Now, I say all of that to say, so you've noticed that already in All In, one of the literary styles in the Bible is known as wisdom literature, okay? And this is basically the life hack part of the Bible. Practical stuff you can apply to your life today that will help you out. Um, normally when we think of wisdom literature, the most obvious book in the Bible would be the book of Proverbs. But the book of James in the New Testament is also included in wisdom literature. And these are books, wisdom literature, are the books in the Bible that are not primarily concerned with deep, ponderous theology, with wrestling with philosophical concepts. These are no, not books primarily concerned with that stuff. They're primarily concerned with helping you practically to live well. Sounds good, doesn't it? That's the kind of book that, that I'm really looking forward to digging into with you guys. Uh, I want to pay attention to learning how to live well, especially when it's inspired. Um, so James wants us to help that. He wants to help us to live well. He wants to help us to make better decisions. He wants to help you communicate in better and healthier ways. He wants to help you learn how to handle your anger. So very practical stuff. Now, some of what James is going to do is diagnostic, okay? He's going to help you get inside yourself, inside your thinking. What's going on with my thinking? What's going on with my feelings? What's going on with my emotions? And then understand your behavior better. So diagnostically, James wants to help you understand yourself better, okay? Now, when you go to your doctor, and your doctor sends you off for an MRI or a blood test or just some x-rays, those are what? They're diagnostic tools so that when you get those results, your doctor and you will understand better what's going on 
in your body. Now, in much the same way, James is going to help us do that, to get to know what's going on, not in our bodies necessarily, but in our spirits, in our minds, and in our emotions. And I can think of nothing more practical than that. I mean, really, um, think about it. When I understand myself better, then I, I discover the habits that I've gotten into or the way patterns of thinking that, that have just become second nature to me. I, I discover things that I'm doing that are holding me back, okay? I discover roadblocks that are keeping me from becoming the person I want to be, keeping me from becoming the person that God wants me to be, things that are frustrating my progress in life. Um, why do I continuously, time after time, derail relationships? Why do I struggle to get a hand or, handle on my anxiety or on my anger? Uh, the book of James is going to be a diagnostic tool that's going to help you figure some of that out, what's going on in you that's causing that to happen. Uh, beyond this kind of diagnostic element, there's also some straightforward, just practical life hacks. Just some great, straightforward advice on how to find more joy, how to build stronger relationships, how to have more peace, and have a more rewarding life. Sound good? Yeah. Uh, so in the end, James, interesting fact here, James who was the brother of Jesus, James wants you and I to live in ways that honor Christ. That's where all of this is going for James. He wants for you as a disciple of Jesus to live in ways that honor Christ. Now, if you are not a believer, that's fine. We're glad that you're here. If you're not a believer, though, you may think not relevant at all. Okay, that is not applicable to my life. Now, if you are a believer, you know that's very applicable to your life because knowing how to live in a way that honors Christ is it's the ultimate life hack because that's what you were born to do. Okay? That's what God designed for you from the beginning before you were even born. He designed you to be a person that lives in ways that honor Christ. Christ, so that you're loving God better and you're loving other people better. You're actually hardwired. As a believer, you know, you're actually hardwired, uh, designed to love God and love others. So we believe that when you find ways to do that better, um, that you actually become more and more the person you are always designed to be. Now, think about it. When you figure out the use of something. It's a tool. It, it, it's a gadget. When you figure out what that appliance is designed to do, it can become a very useful thing, right? Okay, think about this one. How many of you have ever needed a screwdriver? You've got a screw that you, it's a chair and it needs to be tightened up or something. And instead of going to the trouble for me, my tools are out in the garage. And so being a little lazy, instead of going to get the screwdriver, you tried to use a substitute like maybe a knife. How many have tried that? Okay. How did that work? Eh, it kind of works. Can kinda, but, but, but oftentimes I found it to be a very frustrating experience. Okay, 
Very frustrating. Maybe I bloody my fingers up a little bit and I'm just so frustrated. Eventually I go out to the garage and I get the screwdriver and it works marvelously. Um, when you use something as it's intended to be used, it's surprise, surprise, it works really well. And you and I were designed by God to live in ways that honor Christ, where we love God more, we love other people more, and when we do that, surprise, surprise, life works better. Okay? So God reveals in a personal and powerful way in Scripture that we, that you and I, were designed intentionally and purposefully to live in harmony with Him, in rhythm with Him when we do life works better. Now, when you find your life in Christ, when you, at some point, all of us, uh, or uh, if you're a Christian, at some point you chose to give your life to Christ, what an amazing aha moment because among other things, of course, you know that your sins are forgiven. You know that the grave is not the end for you. But among other things, it's an aha moment because you discover why you're actually here. And that is a wonderful thing. This morning, what we're going to do is kind of set the framework of our study of the book of James. We're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. And then next week, we're actually going to rewind a little bit and go a little bit early, uh, earlier in the chapter um, as we study next week. But let's read these verses from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should... Okay, what was that word? Everyone. Say that with me. Everyone. Okay, James is talking to you. <laughs> he says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger, remember the design, for man's anger does not bring about that, does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not, verse 22, merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Okay, sometimes people can think generally about the Bible about the Word of God as being a list of rules and regulations, which, by the way, there are rules, there are regulations in the Bible. Um, some people think about the Bible, and they think about it as a, a tome of theology, a book of fantastic theology. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Hey, try this. Why don't you think about the Bible as being a mirror? A mirror. So let, let's try that out. I'm going to surmise 
that most everyone in here, perhaps everybody, over a certain age at least, in here this morning, has looked in the mirror at least once already today. How can I be so certain of that? Well, for the most part, your hair looks to be in good order. Um, For the most part, um, the makeup looks to be within the lines. I mean, the lipstick's not up over here, anything like that. For the most part, uh, breakfast has been removed from the face. There's no lingering toast or oatmeal on your face. I'm pretty certain that for the most part, um, everybody in here has looked into a mirror today. Um, I say that because, yeah, all of that, right? What does a mirror do? It is a true and accurate reflection of you. More precisely, it helps you to see imperfections, okay? Things that need to be changed. The older I get, the more my mirror is telling me, um, deal with the nose hair, okay? Didn't have that problem 20 years ago, but now it's, it's constantly telling me you need to trim that, okay? So, mirrors help us see what needs to change. Um, so, there's that. Now, does the mirror have the power to change us, to change the looker? Of course it doesn't. It will not brush your teeth. It will not floss your teeth. The mirror will not comb your hair. The mirror, as you look in it to see if you match today, okay, your clothing matches, it's not going to make you throw away the plaid sports coat that should have been thrown away in the late 80s. It's not going to do that for you. The mirror will not fix you. Um, It will just show you what needs to be fixed. So, it doesn't really matter if you look in the mirror once a day or if you look in the mirror a hundred times a day uh, in terms of transformation. You remain unchanged unless you do something with that reflection, with the information the mirror gives you. That brings me very likely to the weirdest thing I've ever said in the pulpit at Preston Crest. So now that I have your attention, this is that first bullet point there on the outline, the weirdest thing I've ever said in the pulpit at Preston Crest. Really, this is James, okay? This is not me. Here goes. Listening to or hearing from God's Word can be a bad thing. Listening to, reading, or hearing God's Word can be, according to James, don't fire me, okay? According to James... It can be a bad thing. The consequence, James says, of regularly encountering God's Word without applying it to yourself, looking at that reflection time and time again and doing absolutely nothing about what it is teaching you, the consequence is a form of self-deception. In other words, you can end up with the Bible fooling yourself. All right? Um, So you look into what the Word of God is showing you. You gaze into it like you would your reflection in a mirror, but you do nothing with that. It has no value. In fact, it can actually hurt you. It can actually help you to pull the wool over your own eyes because, hey, I'm reading the Bible every day. I'm part of the all-in deal of my church. Look at what a great Christian I am. I'm feeling awesome about my discipleship. Well, 
It's great that you're opening the Bible. It's great that you're reading through God's Word. But that alone should not tell you you're doing well. I mean, what are you doing with what God is telling you? What changes are you making? How are you adapting your life to be the person God designed you to be? Okay, consider this is a fictional person. Consider Wendy, all right? Wendy gets up Monday through Friday at 5.30 in the morning, and she gets herself to the gym where she will spend an hour to an hour and a half every working day of the week. Um, In her free time, Wendy keeps up on all the latest health and nutrition research. She's a a veritable font of information about everything from blueberries to to the the heart benefits of, of oatmeal, okay? She knows all of that stuff. She's up to date on it. Now, is Wendy a healthy person or an unhealthy person? Inconclusive. We don't know. It could be that Wendy, who has paid her gym membership religiously for years and gets up at 5.30 every morning, it could be that on her way to the gym, she picks up a box of Krispy Kreme. And when she gets to the gym, she doesn't work out, even though she's wearing her yoga pants, um, which get increasingly larger, by the way. She goes, she sits on the couch, and she watches Good Morning America. And that's what she does at the gym. It could be that she reads all of this information about her health and does absolutely nothing about it. And that's the danger for Wendy, all right? She could fool herself into thinking she is a healthy person because of all that information that she has and because she regularly goes to the gym. For a Christian, they know a whole bunch of Bible and they regularly go to church services. But... If that doesn't get put into practice for Wendy and for us, uh, we can actually, while we may feel better off about ourselves, we may actually be worse off because we've actually kind of inoculated ourselves, numbed ourselves to the truth, right? James says this can happen on a spiritual level. This Self-deception is a dangerous possibility when we read God's Word. Check out verse 22. He says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. So don't look, James says, don't look into the mirror if you don't plan to do anything with what you see. Um, Don't listen to the Word of God if you have no intention of adopting and adapting. If you have no intention of adopting your lifestyle into that, into what you see, to adapting yourself to the life-giving identity of Christ, then the Word of God is not helping you. It may actually be deceiving you into thinking you're doing great. So how does this work? Let's be practical here. That's what James is going to do. How do we engage the Word of God in ways that really help us to get the most out of it? and to really be transformed by it. Um, The very first thing is, and this is that bullet point there on the outline, is that I am intentional about putting its teachings into practice. Putting its teachings into practice. Verse 22, James says, do what it says. 
do what it says. If you want to improve your backhand, if you're a tennis player, um, if you want to improve your backhand, you, you maybe you take a class, right, and your coach is going to give you a lot of tips. That's great. Now, what you need to do is you go and you practice and you train until those tips, until, until that information is second nature, right? Um, if you go to the doctor and she tells you that you really need to quit smoking or you are very likely to die, get lung cancer and die, what do you need to do? You need to quit smoking. Do whatever it takes. The patch, the gum, support groups, who cares? Do whatever it takes to quit smoking. Now, if you want to get the most out of God's Word, be intentional about that, incorporating it into your thinking, into your behavior. Uh, practice what is revealed to you in the Word of God. Practice that until it becomes second nature. Next, I get the most out of God's Word, and this kind of goes back to the mirror. I get the most out of God's Word when I am introspective, allowing it to reveal problem areas in my life. As you're reading the Bible, will you invite the Spirit of God to show you, to reveal to you those areas that really need work. James says that the Word of God will help you get to know yourself, and sometimes, like any diagnostic tool, what it reveals may not be terribly, terribly pleasant, okay? It, they may not be easy things to look at. How am I doing with my money? Am I being wise with my money, or am I constantly finding myself in debt? I get out of debt, I get back in debt. How am I doing with my marriage? How am I doing with, uh, with dealing with my mistakes, with my failures of the past? Um, how am I doing with my... You get the point. It's going to reveal things to you about yourself. The Bible isn't just going to tell you about God. It's not just going to tell you about the story of God's people. It's not just going to tell you about the beautiful story of Jesus. The Bible is going to tell you about you as well. And if we invite the Spirit to be, to speak to us, and we're open to that, um, He's going to reveal to each of us what moves us, what makes us tick, and what needs work. Um, now, when we engage the Scripture, James also tells us that it's, so this is verse 23, the New King James Version 23, when we engage Scripture, James tells us it's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself. Yeah, you'll see some, some of the Lord in the Scripture. You'll see some stories about people like you in the Scripture. You will also observe yourself. Isn't that something? And we can get some pretty inaccurate, biased, jaded views about ourselves. The Word of God will help us observe ourselves and see a clear reflection of what's going on inside of us. Now, you may not remember this reference, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, but you'll probably remember the words of this verse. The Bible tells us, uh, according to Hebrews 4, 12, 
that the Bible is more than ink on paper. It's more than words on a page. That verse tells us that it is living and active. It tells us that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it penetrates even to dividing the spirit and soul. It tells us that the Bible judges our thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. It is an impartial voice that you can trust from God who loves you very much, who knows everything about you and knows exactly how he designed you to be. So give it permission to work in your life. The next thing is this. I get the most out of the Bible when I ingrain it in my life by making Bible study a habit. Okay, I don't know how many gallons of water people are supposed to drink. Some, some nutritionists may know that per day or per year. How many gallons of water is a person supposed to drink each year? I don't know that. I know we're supposed to drink water, though, okay? I've had kidney stones. I know that. Um, I'm pretty sure that it's better if I drink water each and every day than walking up to a fire hydrant once a year, opening it up, and just taking it right in the face, okay? I'm pretty sure that the daily water is better than the fire hydrant method of consuming water. And I'm absolutely sure from what James says that the daily reading of God's Word is much better than binge reading of God's Word. He says in verse 25, Truly happy people are those who carefully study God's perfect law that makes people free, and they, what? They continue to study it. Verse 25. So, that's quite a promise. I mean, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be a truly happy person? I know I do. Who doesn't want to be a truly free person? Um, And James says, these are the ones who carefully, regularly, prayerfully get into God's Word, and it is a long-term habit. Now, here's the great part. If I take God's Word seriously, according to James, I'm reading it, I'm pressing it on my heart, I'm looking at at it as I would into a mirror. He says there are going to be some very striking consequences for our lives. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is what James says. He says in verse 21 that you will find salvation. Okay? So you're going to walk through life with confidence, with joy, knowing that your salvation was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross, and the Bible is going to remind you of that continuously. That it does not depend on your performance, on your ability to get things right. So salvation, James tells us in verse 25, you'll find freedom from God's Word. I mean, wow, a lot of people think God's Word, oh boy, it's going to bind me up. It's going to take away all of my freedom. The truth is, James says, it's going to set you free. Like his brother said, the truth will set you free. Um, It's also going to give you blessing in your life. Those are things everybody wants And James says we get those from regular, intentional contact with the Word of God. Okay, at Preston Crest, 
We have all sorts of different people at all sorts of different places all along life's journey. And guess what? That's okay. That's the way it is, and that's okay. Wherever you are at on your spiritual journey, as long as you're headed toward Jesus, you're headed in the right direction. And where you're at is just fine. Now, what you're going to see here, um, there are people at Preston Crest who are currently going through a season of struggle, of suffering, of addiction. You're going to find people who, are, who have come out of a season like that and who are doing, frankly, quite well right now. You're going to find people at all different places along the journey. One thing I can tell you with certainty is you're going to find folks who are living proof of what James just taught us. You will find people at this church, if you take time to get to know them, you're going to find people who are living proof of the salvation of the freedom and the blessing that comes to us when we take God's word seriously. Now, one final word. Here is, <laughs> I got to give you some, I got to give you a life hack this morning, right? Um, so James is going to give us our first life hack of the series. Here goes, this is on your outline, spiritual life hack number one. Rage shrinks and righteousness swells when I am quick to listen, but slow to speak. Rage, your anger, diminishes, and righteousness increases when I am quick to listen, but slow to speak. That's a good word for the Facebook Twitter age right there. Quick to listen. Slow to speak, okay? He says in verses 19 to 20, take note of this. We read this earlier. Remember, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. That's the consequence of that strategy. You're slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about that wonderful, amazing life. It does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, you may have heard this from your mom or from an elementary school teacher. Remember, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Do the math on that. I think God is telling us something about how much we need to be listening and how careful and deliberate we need to be with what we say. Because words can be so inflammatory, not only to a situation, not only to other people, but also the anger within us. We can feed the anger within us. Um, if you have anger issues, th this is a great principle. Quick to speak, or quick to listen, slow to speak. Very portable thing that you can just pack up and take with you that will bless you at the office this week, that will bless you in your home this week, that will just be something that if you applied, it brings you peace and it brings you um, more satisfaction in life. So, quick to listen, slow to speak. All right. As we finish up, God's Word does a lot more than just give us some some handy tips, some actionable intelligence that we can use to make tomorrow a little bit better than today. It does that, but it goes a lot deeper than that. God's Word reveals to us 
the greatest story ever told. The story of Jesus going from heaven to our neighborhood, to earth. Jesus living a perfect and sinless life, a life of love, and Jesus offering his life on the cross for the salvation of all of us who put our faith in him. So have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you been buried with him in baptism, wrapping yourself in all that he conquered for you on the cross. Maybe this morning you just need some prayers. And as always, we just open up a time for you to respond to God. And that may be just praying with one of your neighbors or your small group or your family. But we're excited to see what God is going to do in your life as you open yourself up to him, as you listen, and as by, with, with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, as you begin to walk into this amazing purpose and intent that God has for you. Let's respond as we stand together and worship.